promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Our psalm is from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 11. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Amen. Our reading for today comes from Ezekiel chapter 7, beginning at the 14th verse. They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle, for my wrath is upon all their multitude. The sword is without, pestilence and famine are within. He who is in the field dies by the sword, and him who is in the city famine and pestilence devour. And if any survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them moaning each one over his iniquity. All hands are feeble and all knees turn to water. They put on sackcloth and horror covers them. Shame is on all faces and baldness on all heads. They cast their silver into the streets and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was the stumbling block of their iniquity. His beautiful ornament they used for pride, and they made their abominable images and their detestable things of it. Therefore I make it an unclean thing to them, and I will give it into the hands of foreigners for spoil, and to the wicked of the earth for spoil, and they shall profane it. I will turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter and profane it. Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. I will put an end to the pride of the strong, and their holy places shall be profaned. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster comes upon disaster, rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet, while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. 
The king mourns. The prince is wrapped in despair, and the hands of the people of the land are paralyzed by terror. According to their way, I will do to them, and according to their judgments, I will judge them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Not the most uplifting passage again, right? And here we're having the culmination of chapter 7, which is uh, saying, yes, uh, these are the the reasons why, and, and these are the things that Babylon are going to do. That the reasons why I'm sending them upon you and the reasons why things are not going to go well. Uh, and, and so it begins with, they've blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle. Basically saying uh, this, this, this blowing of the trumpet, that, that there's this thing coming and everyone's ready for this, this battle to come, but no one's going to go because everyone's going to be terrified. They're going to have their, their chain mail on. They're going to be armed with their swords and their shields. And yet they're going to be cowering in any space that they can possibly find. They are not going to go forth because all of their strength, all of their pride, all of their zeal has been sapped from them. God basically saying, I'm going to send this army against you. And yes, you are going to have an army of your own, but they are not going to be able to stand up against what it is that I am going to do. It sounds like bad news, right? And, and in many ways it is. It should be bad news to us. But in the same, in the same way, it should also be good news. <laughs> good news only in the sense that God is going to work. And when God says he's going to do something, it's going to come to be. And so when God says, I'm going to send Babylon upon you and you're going to be utterly uh, punished for, for all the iniquity that you've done, all the turning away from me, we then can and can have our hopes uh, not dashed, but increased because we know then that when God comes to us and says, I've redeemed you, I've bought you, I've washed you, I've forgiven you, we can take him at his word. So that, so that if, if we can take him at his word that he is going to utterly destroy uh, the, the nation of Israel, remove people to exile, and it's going to happen, and there's nothing you can do about it, even if you wanted to do something about it, you're too afraid to do it. We can also then trust that when God does the opposite and says, I'm going to save you, that he's telling the truth and it's going to come to be, it's going to happen. And we can look back in history and we can see that yes, Babylon uh, destroyed Judah. <laughs> they, they destroyed Jerusalem. They, they took those things. And, and then, and then we get this, this terrifying set of circumstances, right? The sword is without pestilence and famine are within uh, the ones that are in the field die by the sword. The ones that try to escape are going to get devoured by, by famine and, and pestilence. And then if there are any survivors, it says, they're going to go up to the mountains. And like the doves of the valleys, they're going to be moaning. Like they're going to be cooing like the doves, except it's going to be moaning in heartbreak and pain. And it's not going to be because, oh, if we had just uh, held out a little bit longer, we, we could have held on to all our glory and all those things. No. It's going to be over the their iniquity, over their sin. And that's not a fun thing to be thinking about because we don't like to talk about sin. If we do talk about it, we'll, we'll talk about it in generalities. I know this is, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse here. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll use the phrase, well, 
we're all sinners or everyone's a sinner or whatnot. And we just kind of throw, throw it out instead of uh, adding an, an article to it to say, I am the sinner. <laughs> and here you have people moaning and weeping in the mountains over their iniquity, over their sin. The, the idea of when, uh, when Jesus talks about people being cast into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, just like here, they're, they're weeping and they're moaning over their own iniquity. It's the same thing there. The gnashing of teeth is basically grinding your teeth together and saying, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I hear the word of the Lord? Why did I give Jesus the finger? Why did I not take God at his word? This gnashing of teeth. And here they're basically saying, why did I turn away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why did I turn away from my God who has given me all things? Why? And this moaning over the iniquity. And then the the nice thing is, though, is that once we get into this place in which we are able to say, I am the sinner, that I am, I am uh, uh, one who is sin-filled or sinful, I, I am then able to even more notably take Jesus for who he is and say, he's my Jesus and he saves me. He, no, and it's not just some abstract salvation either. It is God actually saving me because I need to be just like we, we heard in our Psalm. I'm in that, that miry bog of sin and he's pulling me out. That is the joy of the gospel church. The joy of the gospel begins with, with I, I am a poor, wretched sinner. I am sinful and unclean. And the joy of the gospel comes and says, but even though I am those things, Christ has forgiven me and he has redeemed me and he has made me his own. And then it talks about the, the, the various ways of, of showing outward repentance, you know, putting on sackcloth, like, like clothes. They're actually, uh, there's an allusion to baldness on all their heads. There's this allusion to them ripping out the hair from their heads, which was actually a pagan practice, which was outlawed in Deuteronomy. They're willing to become like pagans over the, the veracity of their own sin and the punishment that has come from it willing to cast aside uh, the law, willing to break the law because of how, how much in pain and mourning and penitent they are. And then 19 and 20 are just crazy. I, I love this. This They cast their silver into the streets and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was the stumbling block of their iniquity. Uh, the, the notion being that, that Babylon's not going to be able to get bought off anymore, number one. Number two, you, you can take the silver and gold with you as you're fleeing the city. But number one, they're just going to weigh you down. You're not going to be able to move as fast to get away from the army. But number two, you can't eat it. It, it won't keep you warm. 
it won't do it won't do anything anything like that it's a nice little bauble and it is it is valued or overvalued by humanity because of the way that it looks that it's a nice little bauble bauble and here here he says that that it's thrown into the streets because it has become an unclean thing the word that is used there is actually for um and and I'm I'm sorry for telling you this but but actually the word there is used for menstrual cloths so basically maxi pads and tampons and and at the at within the Jewish culture that was unclean that it was you were you were unclean uh, during your 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 period you're you're un and those things that were that are used to help take care of that are unclean in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of society and here saying that the silver and gold have been are nothing but used menstrual cloths in the eyes of the people and and here it says that it's not able to, to deliver them uh, and they can't fill their stomachs with it for it was the stumbling block of their iniquity that's a that's a twofold thing uh, that number one uh, that it it can be tied to well we're wealthy we're prosperous and when people become most prosperous uh, they uh, they tend to uh, not need God. They tend to think that everything is fine. And so as, as wealth grows, they turn their backs on the Lord. You see this in all the developed countries around the world. There's less and less religion in the places where people are doing well. And there's more and more religion in the places where people are doing poorly. Why? Because when you are doing well, you, you think you're God. And when you are doing poorly, you know that you can only but trust in the Lord for his help and provision. But then also it was used to cast idols, right? Like the golden calf in Exodus. That it's these these filthy things, these detestable things, these unclean things. Uh, this this as as Isaiah sixty four six says, all our works are like dirty, filthy rags, and, and the the term there is the same. Menstrual cloths. Here, these things have become. They're these unclean things, these soiled garments, dirty diapers. And so God says, I'm going to take them away from you. And I'm going to give them to a people that are not even my people. I'm going to give them to people that you are afraid of. I'm going to give them to people that are not part of the promise. I'm going to give them to foreigners, to strangers as, as treasure, as booty as they take it from you. And to the, to the wicked ones or the guilty ones as, as the, um, as the word can mean to those who are hostile to God, I'm, I'm going to grant it to them as treasure. To the, to the very ones that I should be despising, I'm going to give it to them as gift in order to remove it from you. And, and they're going to profane it, meaning not only are they going to dishonor it, but they're going to take something that, that could have been a holy thing. That that the the entire at at one point the the entirety of the temple was overlaid with with, with gold on the inside and and you'd have silver and, and gold goblets and and lampstands and 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 all of these things right all these beautiful things that were used as as uh, as part of the worship atmosphere of the Lord's house 
And here God is saying, I'm going to take those things that could have been holy and I'm going to make them common. The, the word there means to, to make something common. What, what should have been sacred, what should have been holy, what should have been set apart is going to be treated as nothing, as just plain. I will turn my face from them and they shall profane my treasured place, meaning the temple. Robbers shall enter and profane it. Basically, God's saying, this place that I have chosen to to place my name, I'm going to uh, let the Babylonians completely desecrate it, completely destroy it. Where we had laws that would say that Gentiles could not enter there uh, and... and, uh, we, we tried to do our best to keep them out and all those things. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let this army come in and they are going to uh, take uh, the, this entire place and desecrate it. This place that is supposed to be this holy, sacred site. I'm going to desecrate it. I'm going to use them to bring about my work and to, to, to show you that I don't really care about these things. In Jeremiah 7, I believe it is, uh, there he, he, he tells them to stop, uh, stop basically assuming that because you have the temple of the Lord, it's going to save you. Or say, oh, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. The, the, the Lord would not destroy his house. He would not destroy his temple. And here God is saying, no, I am going to destroy this thing because it's become something for you that it should not be. It's uh, just like what you read in in Second Kings uh, about. Uh, I can't remember if it's Josiah or Hezekiah. I, I can't remember. Anyways, it doesn't matter. One of these kings who was actually a good king, I think it was Hezekiah uh, or Josiah, one or the other, uh, who was a good king who followed the Lord. That what had happened was the people of Israel had actually taken the snake from Numbers, the bronze serpent that uh, that. Moses had made to save people from being bitten by the fiery serpents, that all they had to do is look at it and they, and they would be healed. It's, it's the illusion that Christ alludes to it when he talks about being lifted up on the cross, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And, and they looked at it and they, and they were saved. Well, it had become an idol. For, for the people of Israel, they'd burn incense to it and all these things. When that was not what God said, it was just, just make the serpent, people will look at it and they will be saved uh, from their, from, from uh, being bitten by the serpents. And, and it had become an idol. Well, aren't we too just like that church? That, that we will take almost anything in the church, we'll take anything in our lives and we'll turn it into an idol. It can be anything from cars to good food to jobs to our spouses, our children, our past. Maybe we were an awesome athlete in high school and we try and hold on to that for as, as long as, as, we, as we can. But, but here God is, is saying, I'm, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to take it away from you. You, because at the at this time they were erecting idols, all sorts of idols in the in the temple grounds. They they would put up a, the wrong kind the wrong kind of altar. They they'd done all sorts of things, and God's saying, "Well, you're profaning my house, so I'm just going to take it away from you." We'll read about that more as we we move along here in Ezekiel. But basically, saying because you have, uh, because you have turned it into an unclean thing, I'm going to make it an unclean thing. And, and those were things that we as pastors talked about in the midst of COVID. 
because one of the good things about COVID actually church is that it, it showed up and it took away from us all the things that we had turned into necessary for church. And it forced us to have to do some different things. And we discovered that some of those things had become idols for us. Some of those things needed to go. They, they had taken the place of stuff that, that we did not need to have in the church nor in our lives. And it actually became a good thing. COVID becoming a good thing. Think about that because God used it to clean up some of the extraneous stuff that that was was clouding our judgment, polluting our worship, uh, harming our faith in God by saying, no, we're going we're gonna to take these things out. I'm going to take this thing out because it has become a stumbling block for you. Hear God doing that same thing. And that should be some of our prayers to God is that if something is becoming an idol for us, if something is getting in the way of us and God and our faith, we should be willing to pray that prayer to ask God to remove it, just get rid of it to help us to to, uh, cling to him in all things. And then it says, forge a chain that, that, that you're going to be taken off into exile, that, that it's your, your land is full of all sorts of bloody crimes of death, of violence. And I'm going to bring the worst of the nations upon you. And I'm going to put an end to the pride of the strong and their holy places shall be profaned, breaking us down, humiliating us that the words that we used for, um, to be humble. I'm actually going to be, I I actually talked about that with our youth group last night, uh, uh, about humility, how in, uh, first Peter, it, it talks about to clothe ourselves with humility. Well, it, it comes from a word that, that speaks of humiliation, specifically being, uh, being defeated in battle being broken down. And here God is saying, I'm going to break you down. I'm going to tear you down. You refuse to humble yourself. So you will be humbled basically. And sometimes that is a necessary thing for us, but it actually becomes a good thing because the scriptures also tell us that uh, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, right? And the ones who humble themselves will be exalted. Christ tells us. And here it becomes good news for us because if God is going to humble us, then he is also one who can exalt us, who who can lift us up. If he's going to put us to death, he's also the one who holds life in his hands. And we pray that he would raise us up on the last day. And it says this, this whole thing will come and they're going to be seeking for peace, but they're not going to be finding it anywhere. And it's going to pile on them disaster and rumors and all these things. And they're going to seek a vision from the prophets and they're going to seek teaching from, from the priests and the elders. And it's not going to be there. Why? Because God's saying, you didn't go there before you killed my prophets. You didn't listen to my word. So I'm going to take it from you. That should be a fearful thing because it's in his word, church, that we are given life. It is in his word that, that God uh, grants us the, the, the peace that we need. It's in his word that we find our hope when anguish comes, these, these promises that God gives us. And so when God steals away his word from us, when he gets rid of the prophet and the priest and the, and, and, and the one, the preacher, who is able to come to us and speak to us words of comfort, when, those, when that thing goes away, all we are left with is despair and heartache and pain. 
And that is what they're going to be seeing. The king is going to be mourning. The prince is going to wrap himself in despair. And the hands of the people of the land are going to be paralyzed by terror. And then he finally finishes it with this. According to their way, I will do to them. And according to their judgments, I will judge them. And they shall know that I am the Lord. We've talked about this before. And I'm going to continue to talk about it until I'm blue in the face. Because it's something that you'll remember from the book of Ezekiel. This knowing the Lord. The word used there is quite literally carnal knowledge. Uh, to, to when it when our older versions will say Abraham knew his wife Sarah and she conceived and bore a son Isaac, uh, that can be a sense of the word. It can also be knowing the Lord as experiencing Him, as Him not just being something far off, but being something here now in our midst. And that, that is the, the hope and the goal of what it is that God is going to be doing. Here he's punishing Israel in the way that they have chosen. They've chosen to live a certain way. And so God is, as we I've said before, God is a God who gives. And he's going to give them what they want. They want a world that is like this. That is what I'm going to give them, he says. And that should be a fearful thing for us. But at the same time, the hope is and the glory of God that comes through it is that they will know him, that they will know him, that it's not for the sake of their destruction, but it's for the sake of their repentance and for the sake of knowing that they have a God. And that's the mercy of God right there, church, even when he disciplines us because of our sins. To, to transform us, to do his work among us, that we might remember our baptism daily as we talk about it in Lutheran circles, that we might die to ourselves each day, pick up our cross and follow Jesus, that we might have the opportunity to know the Lord more and more through those things, to know that we are not him, but that we have a God who loves us, who cares for us, and will bring us back to himself even when we go to the farthest reaches of the world in exile as happens with the with the Jews. Here we have God working for his people to make sure that they know that they have a God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who dost govern all things in heaven and earth, mercifully hear the supplications of your people and grant us your peace all the days of our life, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Well, church, I pray that you are doing well. I pray that that God's Spirit is working in you to grow your faith and love. I pray that you'd continue to share this, uh, the, these messages with others. We are seeing such a growth in this podcast as, as far as having over a thousand downloads every month, which seems like small potatoes in comparison to others. But I th- am thankful that, that we have uh, that, uh, that this, this place is an outlet to share the mercy and love of God. I pray that it would continue and that we would be able to continue to connect with you in sharing this word that is God's grace for the weary. I'll go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. See you next time.